Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 443. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today, I have my regular co-host, John White. Today is Wednesday, August 1st, 2018. John, how are you doing? Doing really well, Eric. Uh, I bring you the Color of the Bay Report, backed Not by popular demand. Popular demand. We've been making up Colors of the Bay, so uh, now that you're back, uh, let, let, let's hear it. Yeah, so I crossed the San Mateo Bridge this morning at about uh, 8 o'clock. On my right-hand side, muddy brown. On my left-hand side, beautiful, beautiful blue. I don't know how that works, but that's what the colors were. The color is always interesting. So uh, a little bit of sunny, but maybe shallow on the other side. Some wind, get some mud color up there. Very possible. That's good. On the show today, we have uh, the topic is networking and security at VMworld with our guest, Pata Monclus. Uh, is that right? Pata. Pata yeah. Monclus. Uh, <laughs> that's Fantastic. Fun. Yeah, his title is VP and CTO of Network and Security BU. So it's a real pleasure to have uh, uh, somebody in charge of things, or at least a marginally in charge of things, as much as we can be on the show today. So that should be fun. We're talking about VMworld through the month of August, and today is August 1st, so away we go. But before we get to uh, Pada, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in the news and what's happening with VMworld. So some, some big things happening, of course. Uh, we're now in August, so we're, we're running up to the, you know, the days of VMworld. Uh, and uh, I know, Corey, you're on the call, so we'll just do a shout-out to you. How's it going? Doing great, Eric. Yeah, right, things are going good. fantastic. We just wrapped up uh, vExpert applications this morning. Oh, nice, nice. So uh, you're wrapping up means the app's closed or you did the voting? The apps, so the app's closed last night, and uh, we were, were, were finished with voting as well, and we're going to announce this Friday. So this Friday uh, morning, afternoon-ish, we will have a, a blog go out as well as all the emails and the announcement for VExpert. Yeah, and so this is the back half of 2018. So if you're already a VExpert, right. you're already 2018. This is just giving everybody a second chance to get in the program uh, leading into VMworld where, you know, we're going to have some fun stuff going on, right? Absolutely. So I think we are we are kind of confirmed for the VExpert party. Uh, going to be back at uh, doing the V-Barbecue gig this time. Uh, so V-Barbecue at the Pinball machine, so we, Museum. So we are going to go back to the Pinball Museum, but it's really about the V-Barbecue, right? Nice. So, and yeah. it, it's my understanding that the, uh, the second half of the experts are uh, allowed to go to the second half of the party. Is that right? <laughs> they get one rib. <laughs> on <the street. laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, you did not hear that from us. Uh, we don't do that. A uh, couple other things that are going to be no. exciting at, 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 at VMworld. Obviously, the VExpert party is a big one. We invited Pat. I know that. So uh, working on locking him down to get him there and, and be there this year So and enjoy some barbecue. Um, John Troyer, just talked to John Troyer earlier today. He's going to be, be doing a lot of stuff at, uh, uh, at, at VMworld this year. He's got opening acts uh, on Sunday. So, you know, we have the opening acts stuff that's uh, Sunday for community members that want to participate in uh, the opening acts, kind of like pre-community show that, uh, that they do. So uh, watch out for him there. Uh, he's going to be on uh, the Cube again, doing live streaming with the Cube, and he says he's going to hang out as much as he can in at the community booth and the blogger tables, doing uh, podcasts and recording podcasts. So uh, talk to him about that. But also, he told me he's doing a week before he's going to be working with the experts on a, a VMworld exclusive briefing, where he's going to take you through what you should not and what you should miss at VMworld. So uh, <laughs> I told him I'd do a shout out and let people know and let the experts know they're listening that uh, John Troyer is going to be doing some of the expert stuff and we're happy to have him in the ecosystem That's as awesome. always. That's awesome. Right. Um, and so you can watch him on Twitter. Go follow John. Uh, uh, I think his wife, Cat, uh, is also going to be doing some stuff there. Uh, and, you know, he's all over the place. So uh, it's really good to have him there. Give us give us that update and uh, follow him as as always. So shout out to Mr. Troyer for doing doing the work good, good work that he does every year, and he will be there. So that's something you don't want to miss. We talked last podcast about 
some of the, the, the code stuff that you also don't want to miss. The hackathon went live. Uh, I think we have 120, some 125 people signed up for the hackathon already. Oh, wow. Um, we have uh, some other teams are going to spin up. Um, um, we're going to be doing a kind of a blockchain team uh, that uh, me and some other guys are going to be on. So that'll open up. So we're going to be marketing. What team do you want to get on? So thanks to, I think, 60 or 70 people that have already signed up to uh, HackerEarth.org, where we're going to be running the hackathon through August virtually. So I think uh, that hackathon starts August 6th, um, where you can actually come in, share ideas, get with your team, and you know start start hacking early. We're going to share some source code repositories for some uh, hey, interesting Eric. blockchain stuff. Yeah. Eric, just, to, just as a heads up, there did not seem an easy way to actually join teams on Hacker Earth right now. Um, there may be something that needs to be changed on the settings, but but most everybody is signing up as a single individual and not as teams, and there's not an easy way to join that. Yes, that, uh, the, we have discovered that ourselves. It turns out there is a way, but when you first register, uh, it, you can't. You have to, you don't get put on a team. You have then you have to you end up selecting a topic which then makes your own team, and then you have to drop off your own team and go join a team of. <laughs> Which is kind of odd, Maybe so we, we are yeah, right up and send everybody that signed up to on uh, Schedule Builder stuff to you know, some instructions on how to do that because so, it is confusing and perfect. we've got like 50, 50 individual teams that showed up. So yeah, thanks. We've noticed that and uh, Kripa will be sending out mail to everybody explaining how to get on your right team. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of odd, right? So we're going to be giving HackerEarth.org. Uh, some feedback on their app for sure. <laughs> and Bill, yeah. Bill's sessions that he talked about last week are open and they are there now. Yes, that's right. So I don't know the session ID. I didn't write it down, but uh, Bill's uh, uh, Raspberry Pi session with Wavefront uh, with a great uh, India, India engineer for the IoT stuff, Leota, is also going to be there. And those guys are now. And I think all the session number is the same number. Does anybody know the session five, number? 5546. All right, there you go, 5546. And because you're listening to the podcast, I will say the first couple hundred that get in those sessions, which are basically all the slots, will walk away with a you know like a fifty dollar Raspberry Pi with a network interface and uh, and a sensor, from what I understand. So and you get to meet Ray Liotta, is that what I heard? Yeah, that's a, yeah, sure, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, that too, right? Everything, everything. So again, John Twyer is going to be there. We got the hackathon that's going to be there. We've got you know Raspberry Pis we're giving away, and then we have uh, the VMware CodeCoin that we're launching, right? Uh, yeah, and so CodeCoin is just basically a a, uh, cryptocurrency. a, a cri- cryptocurrency that's we're not allowed to say currency. It's a rewards program with a rewards ID that behaves a lot like a currency, but it's actually just a rewards program. But then we do have a store on site that you will be able to buy things. And I think we have, you know, uh, a lot of prizes, just tons of stuff that you can get, right? And I can't, I can't talk about them yet. At least I don't have the spreadsheet in front of me. Uh, my, some of the funnest ones are n- nice. The bomber jackets with a nice little code logo on the front, not too big, not too small, black, really nice jackets. You know, you have to you have to get 500 coins throughout the event to do that. But we have things that you can go. You take labs, you can get 25 coins for labs. You can to watch power sessions, you get another 25 coins. So we have lots of ways to get coinage, uh, and then come into the store at the at the. Uh, code booth and 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 pick up stuff that you want to buy we have a mobile app that we're going to be launching so should be a lot of fun so between code raspberry pies internet of things code sessions all the v brown bag stuff that's going to be there the blogger tables podcast booth and a second podcast booth that's special that we'll talk about maybe closer to the event uh going to be really good i don't think people should miss this one definitely not yeah Definitely not. Uh, and then, of course, Corey, the expert party and all the other sessions. I think between the code sessions and the, uh, the V Brownback sessions, we're over 100 different sessions that you can sign up for, 120, 130. Wow. Which, if you look at the total number of sessions at VMworld, where they're, you know, there's like 350, 400, yeah. and the community ones now are up to 120. Uh, we're getting we're getting significant where you can come experience the whole community ex- uh, environments and you know have a lot of fun with John the cube and all the stuff that's going to be in the village. Uh, you know you could just hang in the village the whole time, do all the sessions and, and hang with us. It, it should be a lot of fun. That's amazing. So that's coming up. So pay attention and go get your tickets. If you haven't gotten tickets yet, go get go get tickets for VMworld. Register and sign up. 
And we'll be talking a little bit about some of the cooler sessions we're going to be doing for the community as we move forward. Uh, so, so that's what I've got. Anybody else got any news they want to share before we get to our guest? Well, uh, our CEO, Pat Gelsinger, was uh, awarded the number one CEO by Computer Reseller News, um, CRN. I think they're going by now. Uh, I don't know that that impacts anything, but it is definitely out there. It is definitely news. It's really interesting to uh, read their write-up, too. Great. Great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's been active, and it's kind of fun to watch some of the stuff he's talking about. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, let's get to our guest. So, uh, Monclus, para, para, I, I, say your name again. Para, 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 para. Peta, thanks for joining the community yes. podcast, as always. Peta, thanks for joining us. Uh, you're the VP oh. and CTO of Network and Security BU. Uh, we always start out with, uh, hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, You know, what's your career been look like in, uh, in, in tech, and uh, how did you end up at VMware, and then what do you do at VMware? Yeah, so a little bit about myself. I started networking many years ago and uh, in a big networking company, specialized uh, mainly in security, data center solutions, data center architectures, and deliver a few uh, products on that space in there. Uh, from there, I started working on, on higher problems, like what would happen when the cloud transforms the way we think about connectivity, about security, about networking. And from there, I started a company, uh, a startup, uh, PlumGrid, that uh, deliver SDN solutions uh, for containers, OpenStack, and clouds. And this is what uh, led to VMware. Uh, I was acquired, or the company was acquired uh, by VMware in end of 2017 uh, in the network uh, business unit, the network security business unit, and I became the CTO of the group. Now, in here, I'm, I'm driving uh, different things. Uh, one is continuing to look forward in terms of how the evolution of compute and cloud-native affects uh, the wall of security, connectivity, and what products and technologies do we introduce in that area. And the other, of course, is as we evolve within the, the journey of networking in VMware uh, with the recent launch that we did about the virtual cloud network on how do we essentially connect uh, any workload across any cloud uh, with a proper security model, operations, visibility, and so on. Uh, so we have to continue to watch in terms of uh, what are the product roadmaps, uh, how are the integrations, and how are our customers uh, seeing and uh, perceiving the type of capabilities and value that we are delivering to them. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, good good little history. Uh, nice we acquired your company. That's the one way of getting in our ecosystem, so uh, happy about that and uh, glad you're still here. Um, and 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 sounds like you have a good gig. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, VMworld. So I know you're going to be at VMworld. A couple of the community members that we were chatting before we started the podcast says that I think they're they're signed up for your sessions. Maybe you can give us a give us a sense of uh, how many sessions. What's gonna what's going to be happening? What are you doing? And then what are we doing around this whole whole? Thing? Yes, uh, I mean, as, as you know, uh, NSX and the strategy around networking has become a fundamental uh, part of VMware. I mean, in this uh, SDDC journey, in terms of how do we automate the whole process about delivering applications faster to our customers and how to connect to multi-clouds and how to connect to containers. So NSX has progressively been growing uh, within the importance uh, within the VMware ecosystem to the point that uh, I, I don't even remember how many sessions do we have. Like we have sessions starting by what uh, Pat is going to mention about uh, the new announcements that we are going to have in, in the networking and security space, to Ray O'Farrell, to Tom Gillis, the GM of the business unit, and then to the variety of sessions that I'll be presenting and the team will be presenting uh, within the different products and uh, solutions and capabilities. So it's been, I think, from a session's point of view, probably after vSphere and ESX, most likely is the number two in terms of representation in VMworld. Now, uh, without uh, revealing too much about the things that we are going to launch and announce there, because there has to be a, a wow effect and a surprise factor, yeah. I can tell course, you that uh, that we've, we've grown a lot uh, from a few months back that we launched uh, the Virtual Cloud Network. And let me explain a little bit about the Virtual Cloud Network uh, uh, solution or vision that we deliver or we launched a few months back. So the idea was that uh, we grew from a data center environment. Like if you think uh, VMware traditionally uh, started in the data center, delivering uh, better consolidation in terms of servers, efficiency, operations, uh, security, and we grew the networking layer out of that ecosystem. 
But a few years ago, we saw clearly that uh, it was not just about connecting uh, virtual machines or workloads, but rather how to expand towards containers, bare metal, cloud, cloud native, and how to create this fabric that would connect all the applications together. And that has been the, the success and growth of uh, VMware within the networking space. What we've, we've seen is that it's not anymore about networking for the sake of networking, but rather it's a matter of how to deliver properties to the applications that deliver significant value to your business. And this is this notion of what do we say? We provide micro-segmentation, essentially the ability to secure your workloads as they spawn up automatically, regardless where they are. The ability to do automated provision of networks, the ability to do disaster recovery and portability of your workloads across multiple environments as the network moves with your environments. And this has been uh, the first iteration of what Network and Security Business Unit was doing. Uh, based on what our customers were telling us, essentially this grew into what are the users of those applications. And that led to the expansion of getting into the branch and into the SD1 business. And we introduced uh, NSX SD1 by the acquisition of Velo Cloud. And that's uh, another pillar of the portfolio. And then going up the stack, we have uh, App Defense that essentially comes top down, trying to understand how applications are behaving, what's the baseline of the application, define a known good, and then monitor when something deviates from that behavior. So putting all these pieces together, putting the integration end to end in a way that when our enterprises, our customers, our partners, they need a solution that works from the cloud to the data center, to the containers, to the branches, to the users, uh, they just have this virtual cloud network environment that delivers uh, a unified set of operational procedures, security, troubleshooting, operations, and so on. And uh, in VMworld, we, we will be very proud to announce some of the new product portfolio and the new integrations that we have within this vision of creating a simpler environment for enterprises to deliver applications across clouds in a secure manner. The, uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I, I, I listen to that, and it, it really transitions from the application to the application user. One of the questions that I have is: Is the data center operators are are they ready for this message? Uh, I know you you came from a company that was, I think, working on container technology, right, and and doing this from a container perspective. Um, is the audience ready to to consume this? You know, there's you know, we had network administrators, we had storage administrators, we had compute administrators. Now we start talking about application. Now we climb up that step to the the whole user and what the user is experiencing, and then IT architects and operators have to figure out then how to do that. How is that uh, being accepted by you know by the practitioners and you know customers in general? What we see is definitely there's a, a cultural transformation, whereas you are saying we are going from a siloed IT environment where you are expert on compute, expert on networking, expert on storage, to something else. And, and the first question is, what is driving that transformation? If you think until now, the infrastructure was about how can I deliver a better infrastructure, a more efficient infrastructure. But uh, the business dynamics with all the digital transformation that is going on in the industry is not about how do I build a more, a more efficient infrastructure, but how do I become more agile from a business point of view? And that led to this kind of uh, uh, dual speeds in terms of uh, how do I think in terms of my IT team, where we saw the creation and the emergence of uh, cloud IT teams, like specialized teams that instead of being siloed in, in the three pillars of infrastructure, they would put a storage expert, a networking expert, a compute expert, make them work together and charter them into, you have to cloudify the enterprise. You have to operate your data centers as a cloud and you have to be able to insert uh, cloud into uh, our portfolio of infrastructure environments. In here, what we've seen is that the, the SDDC approach of VMware, essentially delivering the vSAN, the combination of vSphere, vSAN and NSX, delivers exactly that level of automation and sophistication that those teams need. Now, as you say, uh, the industry is, is going in waves. The early adopters saw that uh, around uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, and driving that transformation. Then uh, the, last, uh, that the rest of the industry started to lead, especially by the fact that they had a reference model in their minds, which was how do you operate public clouds? So what we see is that still uh, there's uh, uh, some transformation going on, 
but we tend to see the desire of organizations to, to go towards this more unified, efficient model because ultimately it's good for business. And yeah, sometimes there is a little bit of retraining, relearning, learning new tricks, new capabilities, and becoming more of a generalist than before. But uh, with the improvement of our tools and automation, we allow essentially the, the people managing uh, VMware infrastructure to become uh, more knowledgeable and more generalist while taking the mundane tasks of provisioning networks or provisioning computer, provisioning storage uh, into our products. And we enable them by, by the products and solutions that we deliver them. So essentially what we are trying to do is help them in the journey of aligning with the business needs that the industry demands right now. Yeah, Pera, that's, that's fascinating. What I think uh, Eric was touching on is that we seem to be in the middle of a paradigm shift, right? Um, if we go back to the compute virtualization paradigm shift, if you ask uh, people in 2002, IT professionals, hey, how are you going to operate your data center? Do you, can you imagine that you'd ever virtualize everything and, and, and have uh, a bare metal hypervisor? and that be the regular paradigm, they would say, oh, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. We're, we're buying more and more metal. Um, and I feel like we're kind of in the middle of that same type of transformation right now, where you know, network uh, stretching across clouds, uh, disaggregation from, uh, from virtual machines and, and going more towards containers or, or you know, going more towards edge computing, you know, any of the different directions that we can be pulled, uh, none of that is necessarily comfortable for people right now, right? So how do we make them more comfortable with this uh, paradigm shift, this business transformation? Um, because just reassuring them saying, hey, you know, of course, we'll be there to help retrain you, that, that, that seems to be uh, fall, uh, falling on deaf ears right now. You know, I, I feel like we need to make the people more comfortable. Yeah, I think the the incremental part that they do when they experience vSphere, for example, you start understanding vCenter, managing virtual machines, and soon you encounter the notion of a, a virtual switch and then a virtual distributed switch. And you start getting used to the fact that uh, when you're in charge of delivering an application into production, uh, there is many components beyond the compute aspect of the application, right? And through the early experiences that uh, vCenter and vSphere gives, gives you, you start realizing about how to uh, manage the multiple ports that the server may have. How do you manage the, the IP addresses, the logical switch or the distributed switch? And immediately you realize that there is much more. And so I think the, the transformation, as you say, it may be seen as a, as a good for the enterprise top down, but in reality, the transformations have to be carried by the cultural shift and by the understanding of the new technology. Those things always like it takes time. I mean, people that are really good at something, and now you ask them to take uh, more responsibility or more understanding of, of the overall problem, uh, even if you give better tools, there has to be a, a growing into that space. So what we've seen is, is uh, that those transformations traditionally tend to be like uh, seven, eight year cycles uh, as you introduce new technologies. But uh, what happened is, if you don't understand the end goal, like for, for example, what you were saying is, is on the transformation from uh, metal to virtualization, when you had never ever seen a VM, it was difficult to even visualize what would be the end goal. And that would lead to a slow transformation and a low uh, 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 progress in terms of how to adopt that technology. But now here we have a different thing. It's like everybody sees the end goal. I just put a credit card in a public cloud and I ask for what I want and magic happens and I get it. So, so the end goal in terms of what does it mean to be automated? What does it mean to have networking provision on demand in a secure manner? What does it mean in terms of having a set of operations and policies? So the, the thing that is accelerating at least the understanding of what's the end goal is that right now you have a clear reference saying, give it a try, you just need a credit card. And now you say, ah, that's it, that's what the end goal is. So what happens is that uh, the people in the enterprise are specialized in, in specific segments, they say, okay, uh, I may be expert on an element, but I can clearly see what the end goal is. So in this sense, I think we have an advantage compared to previous transformations that uh, you can experience what should be a fully automated uh, data center, a full converged cloud, even on-prem. And then it's like, okay, Mr. VMware, help me out. I understand what I want. 
now I need a, a set of tools and technologies and support and training and so on to accomplish this level of, of efficiency on-prem or this level of efficiency across clouds. So I think it's it's helping in the sense that, yes, transformations still take time, but people seeing what the end goal is uh, helps in terms of their career paths and their desires to learn more because they see the fundamental value of this transformation. They don't have to imagine it. Right. So that, that that's kind of an upward, a downward up, right, from the data center up. Mm-hmm. But we're also seeing this this idea of microservices and building the apps and the apps people kind of coming from the developer side and then coming right. down saying, hey, we need these services as well. So how how much does the app people understand uh, this paradigm and, and are they helping drive it from the top down? I'm just curious on that one. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a, exactly. We have right now multiple dynamics. The first one is this notion of from infrastructure to multi-cloud. That's one dynamic. And this is still kind of an infrastructure as a service bottoms-up transformation, as you were mentioning. The other is a completely rethinking of uh, how do I develop an application. I mean, traditionally, I may use WebSphere, WebLogic, JBoss, have a monolith, have an APM solution on the monolith to understand what's going on. And suddenly I say, well, I have this new abstraction called whatever, Kubernetes, Cloud Foundry. I mean, there's many, many ways of doing it that uh, with the microservices allows me to kind of break it into small components that they connect between themselves with uh, an automated environment when they get provision. And I get a lot of cool new things like automatic scale up and down, uh, monitoring of and tracing of latency and to end tracing security at the API level, at the, at the microservice level. And that is being driven uh, by this cloud-native application transformation, the, the microservice transformation. Now, what happens, what we see is that uh, within an enterprise, traditionally, the people that understand the application or the platform that hosts the application and the people that understand the infrastructure, they are still separated in the sense that uh, the concerns about an infrastructure guy about keeping an uptime or a security environment and understanding connectivity at the IP level or VMs at the orchestration level compared to the application guy or the cloud native uh, container microservices guy that is going to say, I have a three-tier app uh, with these APIs and by the way, I need to scale it up and down dynamically. Sometimes they use different interfaces. and. If you think this is uh, all the Kubernetes-related products that we are going to announce at VMWall, but fundamentally, uh, as we say, the network and the security part, they have to connect uh, the existing environments with the future environments because uh, applications is about continuity. It's like, as I develop new applications in this container uh, cloud-native wall, I still need to talk to my existing workloads. I still need to talk to my Oracle database. I still need to talk to my VMs. So the the offering that we do as we enable our customers towards this transformation is essentially to bridge them through this gap. Now, from an understanding point of view, uh, you're still correct that the the understanding of technologies like networking and security by the application development teams is not about the components and and the management of those components, but about what do I expect from the network? I expect to be elastic. I expect to be secure. I expect to have strong identities into my microservices mm-hmm. and so on. Now, this, we have to translate that intent into how do we program our network virtualization layer, our micro-segmentation policies, our uh, service mesh, and so on. And our job as a, as a technology company that helps our customers with this transition is to bridge uh, the needs and understandings of those two teams towards achieving the common goal, which is become more agile from a business point of view. Now, yeah, is it yeah, uh, an easy bridge? Uh, no, not always, but uh, that's our job. Yeah, right. So, so in in a real sense, I don't I don't think that the uh, the the app developers really understand the complexities, right? They just right. expect that service to be there, as you call out, right? And they just expect policies to be there. And when I'm building app, I just expect IT to to deliver something for me that that handles that, so that I don't have to spend my time worrying about that, right? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so uh, that, so we've talked about you know the transition that's happening, and and certainly with the network and uh, security, you're 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 leading our thought process around that. Uh, let's let's flip back to VMworld for a little bit. Uh, do you personally have sessions, and what are you going to be covering in your sessions, if you have? Yes. 
Yeah, definitely. I'll be covering uh, some of the the forward-looking trends, especially in going back to the last question that you asked about what's going on with application development and the application transformation and the evolution towards what now is coming with uh, Kubernetes and service meshes. I mean, if you followed lately, there is uh, these projects around Istio, Envoy, and service mesh concepts that leave you uh, depending on what the application is doing. I'm going to be covering some of those. And then presenting uh, how our portfolio of the virtual cloud network extending from multi-cloud to on-prem to uh, branches like uh, uh, delivers you an end-to-end experience in terms of operations and security. Nice. I, I have a question, John. I don't know. Do you have one first? Yeah, or? well, I think I have an observation. What's really interesting to hear when you're saying that is, is it's not just this like linear journey of virtualization, virtualized network, and then a hybrid cloud. Because I keep on hearing that as the the be all end all of the vision, you know, on uh, private cloud to uh, public cloud bridging and then multi-public cloud. But that that isn't it at all, is it? It's That's just a, a very, very small part of this vision that you've articulated. There's application uh, security, there's containerization. It's just, it's, it seems like this uh, multi-cloud um, kind of being this, uh, you know, people have blinders about multi-cloud, yeah. I guess is, is my I, observation. I, I feel like STDC and this whole multi-cloud is kind of like uh, defining the alphabet or defining like reading at a, at a first grade level, cat, dog, this, that. Like, right. But when you really get into the complexity of building now an, a next generation application, uh, the, it, it really, it's like reading, it's like reading a novel. It's like, it's Shakespeare where you're, you're, you're building at a much higher level now and a much right. more sophisticated level than just yep. a hybrid cloud. Here's infrastructure and, you know, just manage it that way. Nobody says I want a multi-cloud beca- just because that's cool. There's right. got to be a reason behind it. And right. the reason generally is you have applications that live in different clouds for very specific reasons and, and very specific constraints, right? So now you need to glue all that together. Yeah. And and just to hear that articulated a little bit better um, Gives me great hope. Yeah, I, I had a follow-up question on you. You, you mentioned net mesh networks, right? Or and and I, I went to a session, I think a code session, where they they briefly talked about mesh networks, and I've done some reading on it, and I'm still confused. Can you can you break apart what what we're talking about? Can anybody do that? Uh, uh, maybe Pedic yes. can do that. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, so if you think uh, there's uh, exactly as you were mentioning, there's two transformations going on, right? One is uh, how do I um, have my on-prem environments as agile and dynamic as cloud, and how do I use multiple clouds without dying uh, of becoming experts of two or three public clouds and an on-prem cloud and so on. So there is there is an aspect that we tend to simplify in this notion of, uh, oh, you need a multi-cloud strategy. But as you said, it's not that you need uh, to have multiple clouds just because it's cool. It's like your applications, for whatever reason, are demanding multiple clouds, and now your IT team cannot be expert in terms of operating three types of clouds or four types of clouds and managing security in different ways and visibility in different ways. So so when at VMware we say kind of like the virtual cloud network gives you a multi-cloud uh, network solution, is this notion of how do we help the operations team and the networking team and the security teams that they have been mandated that they are going to have multiple clouds because the applications demand it, to have a consistent pane of glass uh, that that they can they can uh, feel comfortable managing and securing the multiple clouds. That's one transformation. Now the question, as you say, is like like why should I care? Why should I even think about multiple clouds? And it's like well, because your applications, your application developers, are going to be deploying the apps across multiple geographies because they are going to be consuming services from multiple cloud providers. Maybe some machine learning from Google some storage from uh, Amazon or some other NLP API and so on. So now what happens is that I need to create those applications that uh, they may be native applications or Kubernetes-based applications and so on, that they are going to exist in multiple clouds. Now the question is, okay, do I have to, every time I deploy an application, like think how I'm going to put a micro-segmentation policy between a VM running in Amazon and a container running in Google and a serverless function running in Azure, and that's very cumbersome. So the the new wall of service meshes is like saying, 
look, we are going to break the understanding of networking in multiple layers. And one layer is this network uh, uh, infrastructure as a service that a network virtualization layer or an SDN layer gives you. Check. Now go one level up and you say, I'm deploying a microservice that has these specific APIs uh, that now needs to connect to another microservice that may or may not be in the same cloud and uh, a production microservice from this group needs to talk to another production microservice from that group and I don't care where they are. They're maybe in the same Kubernetes environment, they're maybe in different Kubernetes environments, they may be in different clouds. So now the, the movement that is uh, emerging right now uh, about service mesh is what if instead of thinking just networking, which has to be there, which is fundamental component of my infrastructure, what if I could say this service needs to talk to that service? Now that's it. I don't need to say anything else. Now the service may contain multiple instances because it may be a dynamic service that scales up and down. It may be expanding across clouds. But that's it. I don't need to specify anymore. I, I need a mesh of connectivity at the service level that allows me this uh, fully qualified domain name and this API path to talk to that one, make it happen. And in a secure way, uh, collecting telemetry, understanding if the application is meeting the SLA and SLO uh, with properly mutually authenticated uh, between the service, maybe with encryption. So this is what's emerging with these new service mesh uh, technologies. Okay. Are there are there service nest, uh, mesh technology offerings? Like, uh, could, could you name a, a couple of what is the what is the way to build that? And are we in in that space as well? Or I know you use the term, but I'm just curious where where do people start uh, building that out? Yes. So the the way to start is uh, within the Kubernetes community. There is a, an effort called Istio and Envoy. Istio, that is the the kind of service mesh technology default into Kubernetes. The best way to start is to download a Kubernetes cluster, install Istio, and to start playing with it. And uh, from there, uh, there's multiple participants in the community. Uh, we are one of them. We are contributing. We are contributing open source, and we are we are uh, part of that environment. And yes, we are working with a set of new products and technologies that I cannot disclose yet. But yeah, we we are going to be part of the community and we are going to be a player in that space. Very nice. Very nice. I, I'm, I'm putting all the pieces together now. That, that makes sense, right? And it's nice that VMware acquired you and, and brought you in and, and as are starting to build this out because as you, you know, if you have a virtual cloud network, uh, you're, you're going to have to deal with all this. And, uh, and everybody in our ecosystem is starting to have to figure out how to climb into this space and learn enough to be articulate, especially when we start offering products. Um, you got the Cisco network admins, right, that, that, we, that are part of, you know, out there, right? Um, are they climbing into this space as well? Is everybody in the industry or, or is Cisco staying in a, in a, in a different paradigm? Uh, Cisco, I mean, uh, definitely there's, there's uh, many people that, uh, and I, I was in Cisco for 12 years, so it's, it's a great company and, and delivering great products. The, Are there the, thing, the, the thing I was mentioning at the beginning and that one of your questions you, you were emphasizing it too is, is like, why would I deploy across multiple clouds or why would I deploy across multiple networking vendors or why would I? And the answer is that it's not the right question. The right question is, how do I make sure that my applications get provisioned fast and securely? So if you think that the philosophical difference uh, from what VMware is doing is this notion of saying, let's put the application as the first class citizen. I'm not building networks for the sake of networking. I'm building networks to connect applications in a secure manner and to let uh, application developers uh, deliver faster their innovation or their value by self-provisioning, by portability and so on. So that's why, the commitment that uh, VMware has to our customers and partners is that wherever the applications go, we will go there because our mission statement is that we will deliver value across any application, across any cloud, right? And that's this uh, software value proposition. So what we see is that uh, uh, other networking vendors, of course, they are seeing the, the value aspect of getting closer to the application and, and definitely there's going to be multiple players in the industry. But uh, we, we tend to have uh, like a lot of customers that they see the value of us integrating properly with uh, technologies, uh, physical networks, 
and we try to to have the best partnerships possible between uh, what what big networking vendors and Cisco is doing with what we are doing because we believe that there's a lot of complementarity and our customers definitely want to see how uh, VMware's network technologies and Cisco physical infrastructure they work together to deliver a better value to our customers. Right, that makes sense. That makes sense. I'm always challenged uh, by by my marketing management. Uh, I'll, I'll say that. I'll, <laughs> I'll I'll state that out front to to figure out like so. How do we appeal to a Cisco network admin and and bring them into the the cloud journey, right? And they're the the virtual cloud network story, right? And uh, sometimes I think that uh, we we can we can definitely do that and appeal to them in some way. Uh, other times I think we might just be putting them out of business, and that and that that there is no natural appeal to a network admin because his job role is going to change. But maybe there's something in that, you know, as his job role change and, and they look at uh, the perspective of uh, the whole application, maybe we can attract them to that vision and then get them engaged uh, in, in our own technology. Because there is always this struggle with, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you target, you know, some Cisco admins and start giving them a journey through the, the VMware ecosystem. Um, and uh, on one hand, I think now we're just going to put them out of business. It's like saying you've got a uh, buggy with the administrator. You know, <laughs> sooner or later, you know, we're not renting videos at Blockbuster anymore either. So you're not going to convince them to come. Yeah. That the job role is going to completely change. They're going to go out of business. Sorry. Um, but at the same time, I want to give them a place a journey and a way to talk to them to encourage them to come over and and participate in uh, the way we're looking at the world. So it's it's interesting. Maybe I, I try to to speak in a, in a more uh, uh, evolution or optimistic way. But let let me show a different analogy. Imagine that you are managing uh, vCenter uh, VM by VM. Every time you want to deploy an application and maybe an application that has 120 VMs, now you would have to provision 120 VMs independently. Versus you go to tools like VRA and VRO and you, you create a blueprint and you deploy the application in one shot. So it's not that our goal is that we are going to take anybody out of business. Our goal is we want to give you better tools to the point that you can be way more effective in your job. So the hope that I have on this evolution of networking is we are not trying to take any networking guy out of business. We are trying to give them tools that when their management chain is going to ask them, how do you connect your data center to a public cloud to an application running in containers? They'll see the value of the tools that we provide and they'll say, oh my gosh, with these tools, I can do the same job that I was doing before and much more that before the, I didn't even understand. And I don't have to get into the managing box by box, port by port, IP by IP, because these tools automated my job. And hopefully they'll grow into that. If you define a network admin as a person that uh, 10 years from now, is going to manage a data center with uh, 200 switches and every time that he has to do a config change is going to log in SSH into 200 switches, do a change and do a mistake in between and the network will go down. Yeah, that person is going to be out of uh, business. But uh, it's not right. that we are going after those people. What we are trying to do is give them tools in a way that uh, they become way more effective at their, at their job. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. I'm going to come find you after this podcast and uh, I'm going to write some of this down so that I have a narrative. Every time somebody asks me, you know, how to go after network admins, I'm going to be able to articulate that story, right? Like, let's take them on an application journey and let's expand their role and give them things that they can do more of with uh, and make their job more exciting. So then then we're not. Yeah, and then maybe there's Cisco switches in the back end, but then we're expanding your role. And this is how we, you can use our software to, to expand that role and do more with with what you've got. So it yeah. sounds it sounds think, very much like Sorry, I was saying think what happened to the sysadmins, right? You were like from managing individual servers to now they were the ones that evolved into uh vSphere and VMware technologies and they became huge uh in terms of uh, effectiveness into their business and, and value that they brought to the, the organization. So ideally what we want to do is to give the same type of tools and power to the networking people in a way that now they can be way more effective within accomplishing the business values of the organization. If they see this transition, they'll 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 take that role and they'll continue the journey and their careers with technologies like the ones we are delivering. If not, definitely managing ports and managing switches one at a time is not going to be the, the work of the future. Yeah, that that I think synchronizes almost exactly with what I was going to say. It it really feels like um the value to the business um is you know aligning with the applications and aligning with the business value that's actually being created by the business and and the people that are getting disrupted 
are not just people who are running switches and routers or you know plugging in network cables. It's it's anybody who's standing still, right? So even the virtual machine yes. administrator or the VMware administrator, if their core value to the business is being able to install ESXi on four machines um, and provision a virtual machine and and attach storage to it, like maybe that job is going to get disrupted, right? We have Cloud Foundation, like all that thing, all of those things can be automated. We have VRA and VRO, like you said, all those things can be automated and, and made redundant. It's, it's really incumbent on everybody in the business to go up the value chain or else, you know, their jobs can be disrupted. And, and that's not unique to a, a switch and route vendor. That's yeah, absolutely. everybody. Yeah. All right, we're coming up to the the top of the hour. Uh, we have a few more minutes left, so uh, Pare, um, say your first name and last name again, and then the question is, do you have a Twitter handle? Uh, I'm a little bit of a weird guy, <laughs> so no, I don't have a Twitter handle. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm... how do people find out what you're saying? Do you publish anywhere? Um, what's the, what's the way that people can figure out what you want to want to talk about? Do you even exist without a Twitter handle? I know. I don't know. I'm confused. <laughs> Yes, I, I'm this kind of like uh, shadow that moves around, like uh, talking in small forums. No, <laughs> next thing you're going to tell me, you don't have a TV either. Uh, well, that's a, a conversation we can have over the years. Maybe I, I would oh, oh that. Oh, my too. God. And, and if you no, tell no. me you don't eat barbecue, I'm just going to like hang up. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not vegan. <laughs> no. But... Uh, yeah, if you want to reach me an email or a or a call, I mean yeah. it's anytime. Google, and Google. very available. That's a great Google. Yeah. Well, I know you're in the you're in Schedule Builder, so people can go register for your sessions and uh, and and get to meet you in person and come up afterwards and ask you a question. <laughs> Tell them you heard it on the podcast. That'd be great. Um, I know you're a VP. You're a busy guy, and we're leading up to VMworld. So I really appreciate you taking the taking your lunch. I know I'm stealing your lunch, but uh, or me and John stole your lunch. So I appreciate you uh, giving your lunch to us and coming on the podcast and telling us uh, telling us Thank all you. about this. This is education. Thank you. For, Thank you for having me. It was very interesting. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, uh, so, so John, uh, well, we got two minutes left. I guess we were going to get a barbecue report from uh, from Tony. I think he's on the line, and Tony. I hear he's got yeah. some some something to tell us about barbecue. Bring it. Yeah. Tony. What, so, what did you got? So last night, uh, I was experimenting with the barbecue. Um, I uh, put on some uh, stuffed raviolis, some uh, frozen meatballs, and yes, fries. Um, threw all those on the grill. Uh, the the ravioli was absolutely awesome. Barbecued, that was phenomenal. Barbecue ravioli, barbecued nice. ravioli. Yes, barbecued ravioli. That 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 that's that's a new one. I'm gonna try that. Now, was this ravioli that you like got frozen out of a packet, or how it, did you it get was, ravioli? I, I didn't okay. make handmade ravioli uh, to throw on the grill. I'm just like. I'm going to grill some uh, ribs. Hmm, there's some ravioli right there next to the ribs in the freezer. Let's throw that on and see what happens. There you go. All right, so if you're listening to that, that's a win, barbecued ravioli. Uh, We're throwing down the challenge now. You're going to have the audience is going to have to come up with something better. Dial in and tell us what the better is, Uh, you know, because barbecued ravioli has got to be one of the better unique ones before, you know, before I think you've dethroned the barbecued salmon that somebody brought to us a couple of weeks ago. Wow. That, you're a crazy man, Tony. Yeah. There you go. Uh, there you go. All right. Well, with that, we're at the top of the hour and, uh, we are bringing some more vSphere guests in throughout the, the rest of the rest of the August. As we ramp up to VMworld, we're going to talk about some more uh, sessions that are happening, going to start doing some session showcases. So, uh, should be a fun August and, uh, happy that everybody's listening and we will see you again next week. And because talk shoot changed, I don't know if we can hit the big red stop button now. But we can Hi. say goodbye to people on Facebook. So thanks, Facebook. Good to see you guys. And uh, come back, come back again next week. I'll come check out your comments and reply if you got anything interesting to say. Tony, you get to hit the somehow end, but I don't think there is an end button in the new talk show. Right? There out is what not it is. an end. <laughs> yeah, there is just a hang up. Right? <laughs> there is a end of the call. Right? Somewhere, I think there was a end, like like hang up button 
Uh, I got an exit conference, raise hand, share screen, start That's the video. There is exit only an exit, exit the conference, and I think when you do that, we all hang up. So I don't think there is a end the call and then chat on or you know stop recording. There is no stop recording on this any longer. There is just a end the call and it hangs up. So for everybody out there, if you want to chitty chat, you're going to be recorded. So don't don't say anything too crazy. I'm thinking about hanging around at VMworld, the uh, podcast booth, with just a sign like on, like on a on a board. It says a designated podcast guest, and just uh, right. just stand around and yeah. see how many podcasts I can get on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A podcast surfer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Surfing. Podcast surfing. That's a, that's one way to do it. Um, you know, we get so wrapped up in all the things that we're doing at, at the show that uh, I, I forget to do the community roundtable podcast. Right? Yeah. Like we're so 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 busy. Plus, everybody's at the show, so. If you aren't coming to the show, you should, because I'm guaranteeing the community experience will be the best ever and worth the show price just on its own. And you should be able to at least connect, collect, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of stuff, right? Bomber jacket. I look I'm at I look at the that. dollar. Sometimes I think that I could just take the total budget of stuff I'm buying, like uh, shirts, T-shirts, you know, you name it. I, I we got Nintendo stuff. We got we got all kinds of stuff this year because we have a code currency that you can mm-hmm. spend on. And I look at that. I go, you know, I probably could buy everybody um, that's in the community a MacBook Pro. Oh, wow. right? For the dollar <laughs> amount I'm spending on everything, right? I could just, just say, yeah, we're not going to do any community, but sign up, sign up here, and we'll mail you your MacBook Pro. Right? <laughs> it's like hundred and fifty thousand dollars later, right? Like right. then how much? How many community members come through? We actually get a lot of community members come through, so. If you talk, the number of people that are going to come through this session is pretty big. So I digress. It won't really work that way. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, Tony, you can hang us up now, and we're going to go get some lunch. Awesome. Enjoy your lunch. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for everybody joining. Talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks, y'all. Yep. We, we have to end. Goodbye. We have to end and Skype. hopefully it logged everybody out because I hit the exit uh, call button. And it, yes. it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> We're still here. But, yeah, who knows? I'm going to hang up on my Skype. So, yeah, hopefully it will send something and it will it'll stop recording. But I'll log in later and check. <laughs>